whatever, and you have to look back on what that means because they had just a bunch of comments so the teacher could go, ah, it's a G or whatever. And I often got C, and I didn't quite understand it for some reason. I thought I was a pretty good kid, but they kept putting C down, which says Steve was an asset. So what did I do? And if you do not get, if you do not get that, I cannot tell you what, that, what I was thinking in my head. But they kept saying C, that Steve was an asset. Well, here is some things that teachers said to their pupils, and I'm wondering, uh, I'm going to ask you the question, who am I? So here's what a teacher said about their pupil. So this is from a secondary school report card. Moral conduct, very satisfactory. Diligence, irregular. Religious instruction, adequate. Freehand drawing, good. Gymnastics, excellent. Anybody know? Okay, it's from the report card in September 16th, 1905. Anybody know? That was Hitler. It was Hitler. Yep. Here's another one. Schoolmaster said this, he will never amount to anything. No, it wasn't me. He will never amount to anything. Any guesses? Oh, man. You're Einstein. That's right, Einstein, 1895. So today it's kind of funny, we're looking at uh, coming together, and uh, it's good to be together, and I'm thinking about all sorts of things we can talk about in that theme, and one of them that came to mind is the whole, the whole, the whole book of Philemon. The whole book of Philemon, it's talking about Onesimus, and Onesimus is actually, it's a whole play on words here, as you'll see in your bulletins, what I've even called this wasn't quite sure what to call it, but it says pretty much from useless to useful. And his name actually means useful, but for quite a while he was useless. So we want to look at that a little bit today, but before I go there, I'm wondering sometimes if some of us feel like Onesimus. So we want to jump into this, not only feeling like are we sometimes feeling useless, but also this is a whole story of Onesimus running away from Philemon because he was a slave, and he ran away, but did he actually ever get away from slavery until he met Jesus Christ? And I wonder sometimes if some of us actually are like him in the way that A, we feel useless, and B, some of us run from one part of bondage or one part of slavery just to run into the arms of another slave driver. So before we begin, let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the fun we've had already, and I thank you that oftentimes people peg us wrong, or teachers or schoolmasters peg us wrong, but you know, it's much more than grades we're talking about today. We're talking about um, none of us can come to the Lord with our resume, and he says, Steve, I want Steve on my team. Lord, I come with nothing. My, my resume is useless. And yet you have given me freedom. And you offer this to each and every one of us. You offer, Lord Jesus, uh, that we can become not only useful, but we can actually understand that you have died on the cross for our sins and you've given us a new lease on life, new freedom. And I pray that if somebody today is hanging on to something, if they're hanging on to some kind of bondage, or if for some reason they're remembering something that has kept them in bondage, I ask, Lord Jesus, that today would be a good day of freedom. That, Lord Jesus, as we look into the story of Philemon, 
Paul and Onesimus, that the, the floodgates of heaven would open and you'd illumine our minds and our hearts to realize the, how incredible it is and the lengths that you have gone to get our attention and to buy our freedom. Thank you for this passage of scripture, we pray in your precious name. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Philemon. It's somewhere in the New Testament. It starts with a P. Philemon, P-H. Philemon chapter 1, because there is only one chapter. Philemon 1. So this letter is from Paul, a prisoner for preaching the good news about Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. So pretty much what it's saying is there's a good chance that Timothy was writing it for him. We've got to remember that Paul was actually really in jail right now. Now, it might not have been the exact jail that we're thinking about. It could have been house arrest, but he nonetheless was uh, a slave, or not a slave, but, but, but a, um, a prisoner right now, and we're going to parse that out just in a bit. Timothy's helping him write this. I'm writing to Philemon, our beloved co-worker and our sister, Aphia, and our fellow soldier, Archippus, and to the church that meets in your house. They had house churches. He's talking to Philemon, and there's a good chance that uh, the woman that he's talking about, who's also a leader in this church, that's, that may be the, uh, uh, um, his wife, Arch Aphia, and the fellow soldier, Archippus, might, might not be his son. We're not quite sure. But he says, may God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and give you peace. I always thank the Lord when I pray for you, Philemon, because I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people. I'm praying that you, that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. I want you to back up and read that again. That is a chubby, chubby verse. I am praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things you have in Jesus Christ. That's a pretty chubby verse, huh? Your love has given me much joy and comfort, the Apostle Paul says. My brother, for your kindness has often refreshed the hearts of God's people or the saints. Verse 8. That is why I'm boldly asking a favor of you, Philemon. I could demand it in the name of Christ because it is the right thing for you to do. But because of our love, I prefer simply to ask you, consider this as a request from me, Paul, old man, and now also a prisoner for the sake of Jesus Christ. I appeal to you to show kindness to my child Onesimus. I became his father in the faith while here in prison. Onesimus hasn't been of much use to you in the past, but now he is very useful to both of us. I'm sending him back to you, and with him comes my own heart. I wanted to keep him here with me while I'm in these chains for preaching the good news, and he would have helped me on your behalf, but I didn't want to do anything without your consent. I wanted you to help, I wanted you to help because you were willing, not because you were forced. It seems you lost Onesimus for a little while, so that you could have him back forever. He's no longer like a slave to you. He is more than a slave, for he is a beloved brother, especially to me. 
Now he will mean much more to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has wronged you in any way or if he owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, write this with my own hand and I will repay it. I won't mention, I love how he keeps writing this, and I won't mention that you owe me your very soul. (laughs) Just so you know, just saying. Yes, my brother, please do me this favor for the Lord's sake. Give me this encouragement in Christ. I am confident as I write this letter that you will do what I ask and even more. Oh, yeah, one thing more. Please prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that God will answer your prayers and let me return to you soon. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings. So do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my co-workers. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Kind of fun, eh? I love how he even writes. So this is, a lot of times he's writing to a, a whole church that's my, maybe meeting in Colossus or whatever. But this is a house church and he's actually chatting with Philemon and we get to see how he's written to Philemon. I like how he has incorporated all sorts of stuff, including being gracious, um, urging him to do things what's right intrinsically. We talked about that last week not because of religiosity, but because of what's happening on the inside. That's why I would like you to do this, he says. And he's also a really uh, a great mentor of hope. He says, I'm confident I write this letter to you that what I ask, you'll leave in more. And one more thing, please prepare a guest room for me. So he has this hope. He has this positivity about him. He's, he's not a pie-in-the-sky kind of guy, but he is positive, and he says, prepare a guest room for me because I have a hunch that I'm coming your way. And I like that. And then he leaves them with a blessing that we can't overlook. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And oftentimes you can tell Paul's writing because he uses grace um, and he uses shalom. Grace and peace be with you. And he's kind of taking a, a Greek term, but he's giving it a little bit of a Hebrew backing. So not just grace, how you doing, but more of a, a grace and peace. He's using a shalom and we're going to parse that out in just a little bit. But whenever often you see Paul's writings, he gives this as his signature. He gives a blessing, and it's important. In fact, this is for free, not in my notes. This is something really cool you can do for your kiddos. Just bless them. Never underestimate your blessing. In fact, we're not going to do it today, but I guarantee you that a lot of hands would shoot up if they only wished their dad or their mom would have given them a blessing when they were kids. Like, Steve, man, I love you. I, can't, I, I can just imagine what you're going to be when you grow older. Don't you wish you had that? And here Paul has adopted Onesimus, who was, quote, unquote, useless, and now he's going to blow their socks off. So the, Paul, the, the background here, Paul, it, it must be noticed, considers him, a, he, he's a prisoner, but who's he a prisoner of? What? Yes, you nailed it, you guys. So he's actually a prisoner of Rome or whatever, but he doesn't call himself that at all. I am a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I was preaching in the Lord. I've been free in Christ, and now, yes, I'm in bondage, but I'm not in bondage to Rome, man. I am in bondage to Jesus Christ. I am here for a reason, because of the hope that's within me. 
And even when he's in chains, they can't shut him up because he has this hope within him. He's ready to share the hope that's within him. What has happened on the inside of Paul when he got knocked off his horse that day and he had been totally wrong. So he could sit there in the mire and in depression of what he's been doing. But no, he turns himself around at whatever age that was. And now he's on a trajectory of living for Jesus. And some of you need to hear that today. Some of us, in fact, even this last week, I've met with some people that it seems like absolute hopeless. And I stop and I say, it's not hopeless. I don't care if you're 40, 45, 50, 70, whatever it is. It's never too late to get right with Jesus and realize that he wants to use you. Change your heart. Change the trajectory of your life. It's never too late. But Onesimus here, He's sitting in the area of where a church actually meets in Philemon's house, and you got to wonder what's going through his head, because he was actually a slave, and we're not here to talk about slavery and the ethics of that. We all know that slavery is no good, but here Paul is talking to a culture where there is slaves employed in this time, and not all the slave um, owners were horrible people, but this is just part of their culture at this point. So he wasn't trying right now to write a position paper of why it was wrong stuff. He was just simply talking to Philemon uh, with a pastoral concern of what was going on with Onesimus. These two, Philemon and Paul, probably never even, because it seems as though Paul had never even been to the place here in Colossae. So there's a good chance that somewhere along the line, Philemon and Paul met in the travels, and by the sounds of his writing, Paul shared the gospel of Christ with Philemon and became Christian. So he, he uh, gives them the greeting, the grace and peace, and grace is frequently renders a Hebrew term that says, describes God's love and steadfastness with, which, with, his, with his covenant. So we're almost looking at that Old Testament word chesed, God's faithfulness, God's love, his deep covenant love be with you. And he's giving him that blessing, which is really, really cool. He, and then he says, and peace be with you. And peace meaning shalom. And shalom is really, he's asking a wholeness and a presence over all of Philemon and his household. That's what we mean when we're talking about a blessing. So he's really saying peace and shalom to you. From the very tips of your toes end of your hair. I want peace over you and your household. Peace over your intellect. Peace over your spirit. Peace over your emotions. Peace. So it's pretty cool that he's giving him this blessing. Martin said this, modern Western understandings of grace and peace greatly limit the scope of both meaning and experience. With the mindset of individualism, the blessings read, may you each experience grace and peace. But Paul means, may you together experience grace and peace. So I, I just want to pause here for a second because I think Martin's onto something here. Because we, you guys, are, we are born like salmon in the Fraser River. We're born in the polluted environment of Canada or North America or whatever. And we love to come to the text of scripture and what's in it for me where's my blessing where's my paycheck 
me. And here Martin is pulling back. He says, hold it, hold it, hold it. With the mindset of individualism, that's how we often read it. May you each experience grace and peace. But Paul actually means, may you together experience grace and peace. For Philemon and the church in his house, grace and peace entail doing away with social barriers and accepting a slave as a brother. So he is actually infiltrating his thought of slavery at this point. Grace and peace to you and your household. When the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ comes upon your household, there's not me and them anymore. There's not socioeconomic status anymore. There's not, I got a whole bunch of money, you don't. You know where I was born? Where were you born? None of that stuff. It breaks open the barriers. There are none in Jesus Christ. The church in every age needs this biblical understanding of grace and peace, Martin says, for members to accept each other and welcome new and different persons in a covenant fellowship, in a covenant koinonia. It's interesting, you guys, because Onesimus probably ran to Rome, and that's often what they did in that historical day, because in Rome, it's just flooded with people. It's the big city. So it's like us running to Vancouver. You run away, and you run to, you're hoping to leave all your past behind. He's probably angry. It sucks being a slave, obviously. But it's really interesting because he's running to get away and get into the crowd, hopefully blend in. But, I mean, it could be scary because if Philemon could put a price on his head, or if somebody else found him, then I could intercede for him and I could maybe get paid by bringing him back to Philemon. Or Like, it's not a free lifestyle. He thinks he's free, but he's always a slave really here at this point. And not only that, he's been a slave his whole life. So what does he know about paying bills, getting a job? He doesn't come with a resume, nothing like that. So yes, he has left slavery, but he's run into slavery. But I can imagine, too, how he's feeling at this moment because Onesimus, uh, in all of his history at working wherever he does as a slave, here he was in Philemon's house, and he probably was there long enough to see Philemon become a Christian. And then all of a sudden now we have people coming in called the church, and they kept talking about the freedom that he had in Jesus Christ, and there he is serving them, and he did not know freedom. He did not know freedom physically. He did not know freedom externally, and he definitely did not know freedom on the inside. So many of us sitting here today, we're absolutely free externally. But there's a good chance that you're plagued or in bondage to what's going on in your mind or in your heart, and you actually aren't free. You're a slave to a memory. You're in bondage to somebody. You're in bondage to, to uh, unforgiveness, to bitterness to anger, to rebellion, and we become slaves. Onesimus ran away from slavery and was almost useless, but now he bumps into Paul. And when he bumps into Paul, he bumps into Jesus. And the new good news of Jesus changes his standing, it changes his whole system, and it changes his service. And the same thing happened to Philemon. When he bumps into Jesus, it changes his standing, it changes his whole system, and it changes his service. So let's start there with our standing. It changes our standing. Let me read here, NIV this time. 
Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, Paul says, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. And then as Paul, uh, sorry, I then as Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ, appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to me and to you. Both to me and probably to you. There's a good chance that Onesimus not only ran away, broke the law that way, but there's a good chance that he also stole something. And we get that from the context of Philemon because Paul says, and if he's taken anything or if he's done you any wrong, put it on my account. So when it says, even though we don't want to talk like this, when he kind of uses a play on words, because again, Onesimus means useful, and he's actually quite useless right now. He's probably useless to himself. He's useless to Philemon and all that stuff. And now when he meets Jesus Christ, all of a sudden he stands up straight because he realizes, wait a second, I'm a child of the Most High King. And we got to understand that too, who we get to be in our standing. Because we're not much different than Onesimus. We're slaves to something or somebody. We're running away from something. And here, God says in, in uh, Romans, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we're in the same boat as Onesimus. We're in the same boat, but here his standing has changed. His position has changed. And we see that Paul has a tender heart of the father and he takes almost a paternal role with Onesimus. And just as any good dad would do here, he pays the bills. And he says, if anything, if there's any problem, if he owes you anything, put it on my account. And that really does show us a foreshadowing or remind us once again of the generosity of Jesus Christ. What God has done for each and every one of us, this is kind of shown as this painting is spread out for us on what Paul has done for Onesimus. He's paid our debts. He's changed our whole standing. And now instead of being useless or being brought back as a slave, no, he's actually a brother, brother in the Lord. Now, did it mean that it changed his standing within society? Was Onesimus still, quote-unquote, a slave? Yep. But it sure changed who he was on the inside and it changed his standing with the Lord and it changed his standing with the church and brothers and sisters in Jesus. Isn't that cool? I just love how this all works. The generosity of Jesus Christ. And here's a great one for Scrabble. This is called the uh, imputation. So basically what happens is he owes a debt and he can't pay the debt. Onesimus, how is he going to pay this off? But Paul says, if he owes you anything, put it on my account and I will pay it. Showing us once again, that's exactly what Christ did to us. Because each one of us has a debt that we can't pay. We owe big debt, but we can't pay it. And just like Paul says, put it on my tab, Jesus says, I know what Steve's done. Put it on my tab. And I can have a relationship with the Almighty God. So let me meddle just a little bit 
is there a chance that you're still in debt? That you haven't found this freedom with the Lord? Or perhaps you're holding somebody in debt. There's somebody that has so offended you that you don't want to forgive them. You're not interested in making things right. Onesimus' his standing has changed. He's a new creation. And the same thing is available to each and every one of us. So his standing has changed. And what's exciting is that also means that his system has changed. And by system, you can tell I was just grappling for an S word here. So what he really needed was his whole system got changed. And what I mean by that is his family got changed. And what I mean by that is this Greek term of koinonia. So koinonia, you probably know by now that it's a, it's a term for fellowship. But sometimes when we think fellowship, we think, okay, push aside, the ta- push aside the chairs, set up the tables, and bring out the food. We're having a potluck. And that's part of it. But there's much more to our system and much more to fellowship that he means here. In fact, the most used Greek word in the New Testament for various expressions of common life of believers is this koinonia. It's translated as fellowship, sharing, community, participation, partnership, uh, contribution, generosity, yada, yada, yada. This noun is a form of the root adjective koinos, meaning common, shared, or public. And this is in contrast to idios, which means private, individual, or concerned only with oneself. I love this, and I hope it's sinking in, because you guys, again, were born into this culture where it's all about me and individualism. And here he is hopefully yanking not only Philemon and Onesimus out into the, wait a second, this is the church. Wait a second, this is the body of Christ. Wait a second, this is Koinonia. He's doing that for each and every one of us. He's pulling us out. Martin goes on to say, a unique phrase, the koinonia of the faith in Philemon 6, establishes a link between being called into fellowship of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship to which the church was devoted following Pentecost. The inseparable relationship between the vertical and the horizontal dimensions of koinonia is absolutely evident. So help you remember that. Remember that verse, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and then love your neighbor as yourself. The vertical and the horizontal, that's koinonia. It's not just me. It's your right relationship with the vertical, making right relationship with you and your neighbors. Koinonia is, first of all, an expression of commonality and community before it is something that people do. Can I say that again? Martin says this. Koinonia is, first of all, an expression or experience of commonality, what we have in common, and community, getting together and being together, being together, being together, before it's something that we do. Because think about that. We always think about doing. Let's fellowship together. So that always means coffee or whatever. But here he's saying, no, no, it's first of all understanding our commonality and our community before we actually do something. He goes on to say, the reality of the bonding of human and divine in Christ issues in genuine, tangible human relationships that encompass the whole gamut of human existence. The, genu- the genius of true koinia is the intertwining of the spiritual and material in the sharing of life. 
It is not enough to confess a spiritual kinship with all Christians while failing to cross social, racial, and economic fences of prevailing culture in tangible and authentic ways. I think that's worth an amen, don't you think? Like, really? So he's here kind of kicking us in the butt, saying that if you can say, oh, praise the Lord, but you can't stand the person you're sitting beside right now, or thank God that guy didn't show up this morning or whatever, then he's saying you're getting a kick in the butt here because he is saying that we can't claim the spiritual kinship or koinonia if we're not actually sticking our necks out when it comes to social, racial, and economic fences because in Christ, that's all wiped out. So I love it. Our standing is changed and our system is changed. Our koinonia, our family. But now this is going to meddle a little bit because if our standing has changed and our system and our koinonia has changed, it's also going to change the way we serve one another. And by serving one another, we're talking about not only serving, but we care about how we serve and we care about who we serve. And the how is really important too because I can serve you guys and, not, and I can't stand you perhaps. But here he's interested in what's going on in the heart because of koinonia, because of fellowship, because we are together. And it's interesting because all of this, if you can remember some of the very first verses that we read, all of it came from this sense of maturity, that each one of us is actually maturing or growing up in the faith. And he's saying that and he's trusting, Paul's even trusting that with Philemon, saying, you know what, I could command you to do something here, but I want you to know that what Christ has done in your heart, I want you to make a good decision and I want you to receive Onesimus back like he was my son. So he's actually imploring and looking toward a heart change and a heart response instead of just an outside, I got to do this because you know, everybody knows Paul. If I don't give him what he wants, he's going to be knocking on my door. So stay with me for a second here. How many times do we short-circuit people's maturity because we do it for them? Parents? Parents? Is there a chance that sometimes we short-circuit kiddos because we guard them and we don't let anything happen to little Johnny? Or Johnny does stup something stupid at school, but... The principal phones and you're going, are you kidding? The principal's all wrong because my little Johnny never does anything wrong, right? Right? So they never have natural consequences. But on the flip side, I'm doing, you, you see it right here, you guys. You see Tennyson's gone in Barbados, poor guy. Let's pray for him. So he's in Barbados. So then we have James and Matt, and then today we had Mark. So there's this whole web of really cool stuff going on even right here is, you know, um, um, Tennyson has years of experience, years of hanging out with people that have mentored him. He's traveled and done music and worship malls, and now he's rubbing off totally on Matt and James, and now we're rubbing off over here on Mark. And Mark was so pumped to lead worship, the guy went and bought a guitar yesterday. Isn't that funny? That's awesome. <laughs> I'm sure he's saying donations may be made too, you know? <laughs> but I was laughing at him this morning. Not only did he go and buy a guitar, he bought a tailor. So if you know anything about it, it's pretty cool. 
Yeah. So it's pretty cool, and he's actually telling us and he's showing us that we get involved in koinonia. I can't say, Dale, brother, and then thank God Sunday's over because I don't have to deal with Dale the rest of the week. No, because I love Dale, and Dale is part of the body of Christ. And when he hurts, I hurt. When he's concerned for his kiddos, I pray. When he has something really cool happen in his life, I hope that he gives me a call or a text because I want to be a part of that too. And it doesn't mean we're all going to be best friends, but it means that we are a body and we're together. If you know anything about family, family's messy, right? Any, any amens? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. If it's not messy, you didn't have enough kids. <laughs> so here, he's really pointing toward in the service of koinonia, our new standing, our new system, and our new service is we're serving others, we're helping others grow, and we're bringing others to maturity. We're helping others grow, you guys. You know what? I just had this conversation, and somebody brought it out to me quite a while ago, and I just love it. There's a difference between helping and harming, especially if you've dealt with anybody that's struggling with drug addiction or something like that. So often parents, they can't stand to see their son struggle, so they give him another couple extra bucks, and he goes out the door and he buys drugs. And... If they don't give him the money, he's going to throw a fit of anger or he's going to cry and sob and then finally the wallet's going to come out. And the parent is actually not helping at all and not just hurting her son, but harming because they're going on this whole long road of drug addiction which will kill them in spirit and emotion and physically. So there's times where a parent of that same individual, they'll come and they'll do the whole cry and sob and anger and just say, Bobby, I love you. I just can't. I can't see you destroy yourself and have to say no. While that kid will be hurt, they will cry, they will be angry, they'll throw a fit, they will be hurt, and you will feel like crud. But you did not harm them. You hurt them, but you did not harm them. And there's a big difference there. There's times, you guys, even in our Christian discipleship, where we show people what to do, they come alongside, and then they do it along with us, and then we bless them and release them to serve. And they might screw up, and that's okay. And that's really what he's pointing toward, because the whole picture here is we're in this together, and we're creating disciples... And as parents, you're creating disciples or you're creating kiddos that will become responsible citizens, hopefully with a good relationship with Jesus Christ and others, and impact this world. But that's also in the body of Christ. We're not going to constantly do things for you. We're here to help each other out, to help each other grow, and to come to maturity. So here, he's really pointing to almost what we see in another portion of Scripture as iron sharpens iron, so a friend should sharpen a friend. And he's talking about being refreshed. In fact, Paul even says, refresh me or thank you for refreshing my heart, Philemon. And it's really cool because the same word he's using there, he used in Matthew when he says, bring all your burdens to me. You know, he says in Matthew chapter eleven twenty-eight, I think it was, where he says, come on and be refreshed and I will give you, you know, rest. Come to me all who you are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Anapau, I will give you rest. And that's the same thing he's saying with Philemon here. Paul is saying, refresh or rest my heart, rest my soul. Thank you for this rest because of the way that you will respond 
with Onesimus. It's really cool stuff here. So some way he's saying that what Philemon will do in responding to Onesimus will refresh Paul's heart way over here who's in chains. So come with me to us for a second. What you do in ladies' ministry over here can refresh the hearts of the saints over here. What you do when you visit folks once a month in the pavilion over here will refresh the hearts of the saints over here. What you do in Madagascar makes a difference over here. So this is really cool stuff, you guys, because in our new standing, who we are in Christ, I still might not have a status changed for this world, but I know who I am in Christ, and I'm a free man. And it changes my system, and you are my family. You're my family, and you care enough that you don't just let me go if I'm doing stupid stuff. You're going to have a coffee with me. Or are you looking for ways to actually help me grow in my leadership? And I'm doing the same for you. And that's why we, that's why church, somebody, I had a, a meeting quite a while ago, and I kind of explained to somebody that I don't want to just hire people and hire people and hire people, do all the work. No, you guys are the church. And part of my job is to equip you to do the work. It's not right if just hired people are doing all the work. It's not right. Part of being the church is understanding your standing, understanding your family and community, and then spilling out onto service and getting your hands dirty. But you're doing that in koinonia, which is family in this web of relationships. And it's really important because it's good to be together, our whole theme here. It's good to be together because you know that we'll go through all this growing process, but the aim, the whole end in mind is that each one of us we present each and every one of us mature in Christ. Cool, eh? So we almost see the whole gamut here. We see somebody saved, so we see them plucked from the miry clay of slavery, and we see them also in this whole realization of who I am in Christ, this whole system change. And now Onesimus and Philemon are going to be a come part of this whole system, and they're going to come right back around and save others because of the sharing of the hope that they have within them. Look what happened to Paul. Paul was in the miry clay. He got knocked off his horse. He learned, learned, learned more about Jesus Christ. And now he's thrown into the slammer, but you can't hold a good man down because he still has this bubbling up within him because it's an inside work in him. And he spills out onto Onesimus, and now the good news flows out of the prison cell. It's amazing. And that's really what he's saying to us here. And he's saying once again, refresh my heart refresh my soul, and he's really giving us the same thing today. Folks, so often we end up short-circuiting others because we do it for them. And I'm guilty because sometimes I just want to get her done, and it takes longer to phone somebody or to email somebody and then for them to email me back and then to get them in contact with somebody else, and I'm going, I'll just do it. I've done that as a dad. I've definitely done that as a pastor. And we got to stop doing that because we're bringing each other to maturity. We're bringing each other to maturity. It's good to be together. Let's not short circuit that stuff. It's good to know that as I mature in Jesus, 
And as I serve, I am part of refreshing your heart. It's good to know that as you mature in Jesus Christ and as you serve, it refreshes my heart. And it does. My wife had a counseling appointment here yesterday. And uh, as she comes out of the office and there's a bunch of ladies fellowshipping together. And I forgot all about that. So she comes home and reports it. And I'm going like, that is awesome. I forget that stuff, but stuff goes on. Half the time, I don't know what's going on. But it's so cool. Don't tell anybody. Everybody thinks I have it all together. Especially Monica here. Right? But it's kind of cool that when we know our standing, when you know you're part of this koinonia and you serve, you're refreshing the hearts of the saints. You're refreshing the hearts of the saints. So today, my friends, is there a chance that somebody in here is still in bondage? Is somebody like Onesimus, you're feeling useless, unwanted, nobody would notice if you weren't here? Are you held back by hurtful memories, by abuse, anger, or unforgiveness? Perhaps rebellion, I don't know. But today is the day that Jesus invites you He invites you to change your standing and he invites you to a family. He invites you to a system where we care for one another and we care enough that we help each other serve. We help each other serve. And in so doing, we refresh the heart of God and we refresh each other. So today, if that's you, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, man, I want to talk to you. Or if you're here today and you are a Christian, but you know what? You fell into a rut and you are in bondage right now. Or like we said last week, your life is corked because you're allowing something from the past or unforgiveness to cork you and you just can't reach your potential. So you're not refreshing the hearts of the saints because you just can't take a chance anymore. You're too hurt. Let's deal with that today. Let's deal with that today. Understand your standing, that you're a child of the Most High King. Understand that your system has changed. You're part of a family that cares, a koinonia, deep koinonia. We're so intertwined now. And that will refresh the hearts of the saints as you serve one another. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for today and for your word. I love it, Lord, that we got to see we got to see this letter that uh, Paul had written. The power of the Holy Spirit wrote it through Paul to encourage Philemon and his wife and perhaps his son and others at the church there. But uh, it's kind of cool to be able to lurk and watch what happens. And Lord, we saw this unveiling of Onesimus who just seemed perhaps hopeless. But now he goes back to a a situation where now he's not a slave, he's a brother. And now he will be part of refreshing the hearts of the saints. That's so exciting. And the same thing is true here today, that many of us have experienced that. Our standing has changed. And we're still working on understanding our fellowship and understanding our service. But Lord, thank you for that. And today, if there's some folks in here that don't know you yet, or don't understand that they can be forgiven, or don't understand that they can have a new standing, that don't understand that they can actually have 
and be okay with God Almighty from now and through eternity. Lord, I pray that that person does business today. Today. Thank you, Lord. I ask that as we um, wrap our time up here today, that you would encourage us in that this next week. Help us to refresh your heart and the hearts of others as we go out and serve in the name of Christ. Serve in our position, not as who I am in this culture, but who I am in Jesus. And that, Father, that I come and I also represent the family or the koinonia of the church, your body. Thank you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.